Welcome to this first audio presentation of HPLD's Cult Movie Vault. We're going to be taking a look at uh, some cult films that we've got available in uh, the High Plains Library District collection. Some of these are on disc, some are digital, some are both. Um, but you should be able to find these pretty easily available from your library with your library card for free. Um, if you read our newsletter, you're probably familiar with some of these movies and uh, some of the content that we're going to have here. But uh, this is a, a different format. It'll be a little looser. It won't be 100% um, sticking to the text and stuff. And uh, some people prefer the audio format for this kind of thing to, uh, to reading it. So uh, here we go. Uh, to start this first edition, we need to get the backstory, right? What is the cult movie vault? of High Plains Library District. You may recall that before High Plains Library District purchased its administration building, the building was a bank. It was also, I guess, a carpet and flooring building. If you ever uh, have chance to go inside, you'll see that uh, there are about 10,000 different kinds of uh, flooring in a couple of the uh, first rooms that you'll go into. Uh, so this was kind of a showroom for some different flooring as well. It's been, it's been some different things, but uh, it was definitely a bank. And you may recall, if you've seen any of the billion heist movies out there, that banks all have a vault inside. Long story short, when we bought our administration building, we bought a vault as well. It mostly held supplies. Printer paper, empty three-ring binders, those things that just seem to multiply on their own in an office setting. But then, one October evening... I went in there to fetch up some hole reinforcements. You know, those little donut stickers you put on a piece of paper you punched holes in because the holes are now too intense? Isn't it amazing? Some inventor made a three-hole punch. They sold us basically holes in paper. Then some other inventor invented a hole reinforcer because sometimes you want a hole in a paper, but not that much of a hole. This is really a, a, a tip for all of you entrepreneurs out there. Um, solve a problem, create another problem at the same time, then sell the solution to the problem that you also created. <laughs> um, when I went into the vault, the lights flickered. There was a chill in the air, which is weird because there's not much of a weather system inside of a vault. Not a good cross breeze going on in there. Inside the vault, I did not find the whole reinforcements I was looking for. By the way, this is where the based part of based on real events becomes very important. What I found instead was a bunch of cult movies. Yes, someone had purchased a whole bunch of cult films on DVD, Blu-ray, and I even found purchase records for digital copies. Yeah, I know, purchase records aren't that spooky, but it's 2021, people. You can't just find a box of spooky internet stuff in a vault. It doesn't really work that way. Just go with it. Um, all of these receipts and DVDs and Blu-rays were some wonderful cult movies. And inside the box, I also found a note. It read as follows. Greetings. Congratulations on being cursed. Once you find this cult movie collection, you must watch every film and you must pass them on to other people. So this is just a big ripoff of The Ring, I said. I read on. No, nothing like The Ring, the note said. Forget the ring. This is totally different. Watch all the films, pass them on to others, or else your fate 
is sealed. Being a complete scaredy cat, I skip the part that normally comes next, which is the part where the skeptical guy ignores the chain letter and something terrible happens. I figured that instead of doing that, I'd just watch a movie. And then I could pass it on by telling you about it, getting you excited to see it for yourself. And so we have our first movie from the Cult Movie Vault. And uh, today's movie is The Gate. First things first, The Gate has a 55% score on Rotten Tomatoes, which just goes to show that nobody over there knows what they're talking about. Besides, who talks about a tomato freshness as a percent? A movie that's 75% fresh is pretty good, but I don't think I'd be all that keen on a tomato that's 25% rotten. I think with tomato freshness, it's kind of a pass-fail situation. The Gate is about a couple of young boys, one being your generic 80s kid played by Stephen Dorff in his first film role, just a decade shy of starring in the amazing Space Truckers, a Stuart Gordon flick that has an 8% on Rotten Tomatoes. Now see, does a tomato that's 92% rotten do anybody any good whatsoever? Why even have that on the shelf? Oh, it's 8% is still good. The other 80s kid is a strange cross between a nerd, sort of like Paul from The Wonder Years, and a metalhead. It's a weird dichotomy, and it totally works in a very 1980s way. The two boys, through a series of events, end up opening up a gate to, um, heck, and little demon guys crawl out and run around in some true practical effects glory. It's hard to say for certain, but it looks like a mix of stop-motion animation and some pretty gnarly rubber suit action. The demon guys are almost adorable. Almost. Maybe in kind of a Boglins kind of way. Sometimes people ask about scary movies that bridge the gap between childhood and adulthood. The kids might be a little old for The Great Pumpkin, but they're not quite ready for, I don't know, Saw. You'd think there'd be a pretty good set of movies in a gap that wide between Charlie Brown and Jigsaw, but uh, you'd be mistaken. The Gate might be the right movie for some kids. Not all kids, and you should check out the parental warnings on IMDb before you show this one to your kids. There's some mild terror and a few choice words, especially some words that were common in the 80s when The Gate was made and that we avoid these days. Oh, and warning, there is a dead dog in this picture. It's come to my attention that you can throw a kid down a well in a movie, set an elderly woman on fire, but if a dog is fictionally endangered in a movie, you'd better think carefully before recommending it. Hot tip, there is a website called Does the Dog Die that provides, well, the exact information on movies you'd expect from that site's name. It, uh, it also covers kitties. So just in case you're somebody who, for some reason, has no qualms about seeing a, a dead dog in a movie, but a dead cat is a big problem, works for you too. If you've got a soft spot in your heart and your logical mind, because the plot on this one is almost completely nonsensical... Uh, for movies like Monster Squad or Mac and Me, bizarre blips that didn't quite make it but still offer memorable moments, The Gate might be right up your alley. In fact, my suggestion is you just sit down and watch it yourself. If you've never seen it, it'll take you back to the days when you might watch something on Monster Vision, find a hidden gem, and then spend years of pre-internet time trying to figure out just what in the world you were watching. Pop some popcorn, settle in, and if you're not digging it, skip to the end, because it's pretty spectacular, and if you ask me, you don't really need all that story getting in the way of the action here.
You can get The Gate from HPLD on DVD, on Blu-ray, and you can stream it using Hoopla. Any movie review worth its salt has to come up with some kind of rating system, right? Like five library cards out of six or some clever on-theme kind of thing. I'm giving this a two out of a three possible library renewals. I'd watch this more than once if I checked it out. Okay, that's not a great review system, but it makes at least as much sense as comparing movies to grocery store produce. Our second movie is Birdemic, Shock and Terror. This movie, along with The Room and Fateful Findings, makes up the trifecta of good-bad movies. What is a good-bad movie? You'll get a lot of different opinions on that, but here's mine. A good-bad movie is a movie that is so ineptly made, but so earnestly made, that it's entertaining. My first good-bad movie experience was one I made with a friend. This friend had a pretty good Batman costume, and I had a sports coat of my dad's that I was willing to ruin completely by getting white makeup all over it, so with two costumes and a video camera, we had just about everything necessary to make a film to compete with Tim Burton's Batman. Some of the highlights include Batman being unable to unlock the Batcave slash Backyard Shed, and once Batman was able to do so, he refused to go in because there were wasps inside. Because we'd never made a movie before, we put it together without a script. Because it was the niftiest effect available at the time, every scene started and ended with a fade to white. In the stunning conclusion, Batman stabbed the Joker with an artificial hip. Getting into why that was an available prop is a story for another article, another podcast, maybe an entire memoir. The Joker fell down, his hat fell off with perfect comic timing, right in the middle of Batman's dramatic speech about how Gotham was safe and the film faded out, briefly, only to fade back in on my tearful youngest brother, who'd been left out of the production, saying, I was the key grip. I don't really know what a key grip does, but I assume it involves more than saying, at the end of a movie, I was the key grip. The first time we watched, excuse me, screened our film, Batman, 1991, we were horrified. Why didn't anything on the screen turn out as we imagined? Was it because the entire thing was filmed in broad daylight in a suburban backyard? Perhaps. Was it because we were children with no filmmaking experience? Very likely. Was it because we lacked a key grip? Entirely possible. Was it because the tools to make a movie and having ideas worth filming were two entirely different things? Almost certainly. But over the years, this became a treasured film in our house because it was so inept and at the same time because we tried so hard it was a true masterpiece. A masterpiece that was unfortunately lost when we filmed another, even more inept movie on the same tape. Which brings us to Birdemic. Birdemic would be absolutely adorable if it was made by some grade schoolers whose primary filmmaking qualification was having one pretty cool costume. As it is, Birdemic is a treat because it's two inept movies slapped together. Maybe three inept movies. Maybe more. Less than five, but more than two for sure. The first movie is about nothing. Not in a fun Seinfeld kind of way. We see our hero, Rod, driving to work in what might be real time. This is a very long and very boring sequence, and it's one of the few scenes that seems to be designed to pad out a movie to be feature length. Here's a hot tip for filmmakers. 
If you're going to pad out your movie so that it seems more legit, make sure that the shortness is the primary problem with the movie and try to pad it out a little bit at a time, not by having a long, pointless sequence at the very beginning, the time when you're trying to capture everyone's attention. But let's go over a couple highlights from this part of the film. Rod at work. One adorable thing in very low-budget movies is when someone has set up what is clearly a residence to look as close as possible to an office, police station, store, or a bar. In this case, Rod sits behind cubicle walls, probably in his grandmother's living room, that would appear to pen him in entirely. Picture a U-shape where the tips of the U connect to a wall. It's not clear how Rod gets in and out of his cubicle. This is not mentioned or discussed by any character. They all act like it's perfectly normal to work in an inescapable cubicle. Metaphor? I would not bet on it. In our first of a few environmental messages, we watch our hero discussing getting solar panels put on his house. For quite an extended period. You'd think, based on the rule of Chekhov's gun, that these solar panels or the panel salesman would play some role later on in the movie. But no. We never see the salesman again, and solar panels have nothing to do with the movie. We just have a long, slow price negotiation for putting solar panels on a suburban home. All the excitement of watching your dad walk up and down the aisle at Home Depot to pick out a new push broom. For the record, I don't have a problem with the environment, even though it's been trying to kill humans for a long time. I'm a forgive and forget kind of guy. I think I agree with the messages in the movie. They aren't super clear, so maybe I don't. But imagine watching an Avengers flick and in the middle we have Thor talking to someone about xeriscaping his front yard for no reason whatsoever. Let's skip to the second movie, the movie about deadly birds. Alfred Hitchcock pulled off something pretty magnificent when he made the birds. He took creatures that are mostly scared of humans and made them seem like an actual threat. No small feat for an animal with hollow bones. Birdemic also makes birds a threat but they're cheating. A lot. In Birdemic, birds suddenly and inexplicably manifest the ability to expel acid onto people. And when they choose to, they can explode. Not in a poof of feathers, but actual fire and smoke explosions that'll turn a person into dust. What could be cool in a very Sharknado way, but part of the terribleness of Birdemic, is that it's a bird-based horror, and the birds look terrible. Not only are they badly computer-generated, the way they fly looks so wrong that it's difficult to describe. When you see a bird fly by the window, maybe a robin or a finch, it's pretty quick. Birdemic birds sort of lazily hover, flapping their wings slowly but constantly. Not really gliding majestically or darting around athletically. I know some birds hover in real life, but parrots? Crows? Are there hover crows out there that I'm not aware of? quad-wing parrots that move like drones? I don't want to make myself out to be an expert here, a regular Audubon, but I might know more about birds than the people who made the movie where bird is 50% of the title, and I've made no effort to learn anything about birds. I can't identify most birds. This is simply the result of being alive and seeing the occasional bird bathing in the gutter. The remainder of the movie is pretty pointless and fun. If you want to see a movie that feels almost like it was made by space aliens who read the Wikipedia article titled Movies and moved forward with no knowledge about filmmaking, Verdemic is definitely your jam. 
You can catch Birdemic on Hoopla and stream it for free. You can also watch the Rift Tracks version, and the sequel is there too. But I will warn you now, you only get four Hoopla checkouts per month, and we can't refund your checkouts even if you watch something as bad as Birdemic. Believe me, I tried. I'm pretty sure Hoopla has a specific Birdemic clause in their contracts for exactly this reason. I will also warn you, the sequel... Um, you might think that they had learned something by making the first movie and seeing the reception of the first movie, but the sequel seems to be almost a remake in a uh, bigger city as opposed to a smaller town. The same characters seem to appear, and it seems that the events of uh, Birdemic 1, you know, we live in a world that is so corrupt and terrible that we have to distinguish Birdemic 1 from Birdemic 2. Um, Birdemic 1 didn't happen. So I don't even think it's a sequel. It seems to be a reboot of Birdemic um, is what we got in Birdemic 2. So a movie that we didn't want a sequel to, we got a reboot of, which is an interesting situation because maybe Birdemic does warrant a reboot because maybe... Uh, Maybe things on the screen, maybe it was kind of like our Batman movie. It warranted a reboot because uh, it didn't turn out the way we planned it, the way we expected. Our idea is not what appeared on screen. But on the other hand, uh, a basically beat-for-beat beat remake is a terrible idea. And I think the thing that it has in most common, it takes half the movie for anything with birds to happen. There's not even a bird in the movie until it seems like about halfway through. So uh, as much as I recommend Birdemic, I disrecommend Birdemic too. <laughs> but hey, you're listening to a, uh, a podcast about cult movies, so who am I to tell you what to do? 